What's going on, everybody? It's Costa G. Welcome back to the MSU WMA podcast. My guest today is Mark Cicchini. Mark is currently the Director of Wealth Planning at Catalyst Wealth Advisors and works remotely in Bozeman, Montana. He is a graduate of Virginia Tech's Certified Financial Planning Program and has held positions in the wealth management industry all over the country. I had a great conversation with Mark about all of his career experiences, so stay tuned. So hi, Mark. Thanks for being here. Uh, We're excited to have you on the podcast today. So to start, we like to ask all of our guests to just kind of walk us through their background, basically from uh, undergrad. And I know you went to Virginia Tech and there was a CFP program there when you were there. And then if you could just go from basically then all the way into uh, where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me. Uh, Glad to be here and happy to share my experience. My career path has kind of been an interesting one. So <laughs> some, uh, some of the moves were, were career motivated. Some of them were personal, personal life motivated, but, um, but yeah, I'll just kind of dig right into it. So, so yeah, I went to Virginia Tech for undergrad and was a business undecided major for, um, for the first year and a half uh, at Virginia Tech, just kind of, you know, working through my general education classes, taking accounting, taking business applications, all that good stuff. And stumbled across a, an information session for our CFP program and um, was hooked from the very beginning. I, re- I really enjoyed kind of what the advisor had to say about, you know, hey, this is what, this is what financial planning is. Um, here's why it can be a rewarding career. And here's what we specifically at Virginia Tech have to offer you in terms of why students would want to enroll in this as opposed to just doing accounting or CFA track or corporate finance track or, you know, a lot of good, a lot of really good options that we placed students in um, just as a big state school with a big business school. So I decided to jump into it and um, really was confirmed by when I went home to my hometown that summer and talked to a gentleman who was an independent um, practitioner at the time. He's now under the Morgan Stanley umbrella, but he was at the time kind of operating his own firm. And he just told me how rewarding it was, you know, all the different aspects of personal, analytical, you know, investment markets, all, all the things we know and love about what wealth management is and what financial planning is. So he was just kind of confirming that if I wanted to go that route, that it would be pretty fruitful. And um, if, you know, if you, if you bide your time and do, do what you're supposed to do and just be a, a really solid professional. So went through the whole Virginia Tech program and uh, really enjoyed all my classes there. I got recruited from a firm in DC, um, outside of DC called Sullivan, Barrett, Sparrows and Blaney. It's quite a mouthful, um, but they shorten it to SBSB just so people can understand kind of what, what uh, you know, have a little brand recognition. So SBSB, massive regional RIA, very traditional fee only um, investments, financial planning and tax. So they actually did in-house tax. Um, started there as an associate financial planner. They manage about $4 billion of private investments for um, high net worth clients in the DC metro region. And they're unique in that they kind of had an ensemble model. So they had four or five really talented managing director partners who probably could have had their own firm in their own right, but they all came together in 1995. So it's been around a long time. And they just combined forces and now they're this massive $4 billion firm. Um, they were owned by the Bank of Montreal, Harris, at one point. And so when I came into the firm, it was actually 
they were operating as a RIA, but underneath a bank, which was a very interesting structure and not one that I was necessarily used to. Um, I mean, the bank left us alone. And so that was a nice kind of, you know, having independence as an RA, but having the backing and the resources of a big Canadian bank. Um, They actually ended up purchasing themselves back from the bank. Um, And now they're fully wholly owned, you know, uh, employee owned firm again, and they have about 65 employees. Um, So I spent five years there, starting from associate financial planner, and they had a very well defined career track. So I went from associate financial planner to senior associate, to manager to senior manager. And so eventually, when I left there, I was a senior manager slash client advisor and um, was working on about 100 relationships, uh, 50 of which I was kind of the lead advisor on the other 50 of which I was kind of playing that second support advisory role. Mm -hmm. Um, Cut my teeth in income tax there too. That was a very interesting, you know, not something that coming out of college, it was something I was passionate about, but we did taxes in-house. And so we had CPAs that were actually preparing returns for clients as part of the planning offering. And so as associates, we were pulled into uh, income tax prep once a year around, you know, March, April, you know, tax time and going through October with the extension deadline. And we were, you know, doing data gathering, source documents, all their W-2s, K-1s, 1099s, inputting them directly into the software. And so as much as it was painstaking work um, for someone who thought they were just gonna be doing planning and client service and the flashy part of what we do, <laughs> yeah. um, we, were, we were really pulled into that. And I'm, I'm very grateful for it um, because now I teach a class in income tax through UCLA it's really a vital part of the planning process is understanding the taxation part of any recommendation. So that was kind of a blessing in disguise doing that for a couple of years. Um, so to, to, to cut to the chase, I then moved to Los Angeles, um, wanted to kind of experience a different part of the country, a different part of our industry. And so I joined a family office firm um, called Aspirient and Aspirient was the product of two massive RAs, one of which was in LA called um, Quintile Wealth Management. They were more of a family office, true family office, and a firm called Coaches Fits up in San Francisco, which is very well known. They combined forces to um, create a $12 billion RAA (laughs) um, back in, I think it was back in the early 2000s. And so that was really, that was really a powerhouse. And they have 200 employees across 12 locations across the country. Um, still independent, still fee only, and they're not owned by anyone. Um, and so I jumped to LA and worked for their family office group, which exposed me to ultra high net worth uh, strategies, you know, from income tax to estate planning to philanthropic foundation planning. Um, we even had a bill pay group that would actually manage clients' uh, bills for them, pay their household employees. I mean, so we were really dealing with an upper echelon of client for yeah. good for good and the bad and the ugly. <laughs> um, but it was a great learning experience. Again, I spent a little under two years there and uh, was working with, you know, very, you know, high-end clients, CEOs, um, athletes, entrepreneurs, people who had very complicated personal financial statements. And, you know, they're also serving in kind of a corporate capacity for their companies as well. So there's a lot of moving pieces with stock compensation and RSUs and all the things that, you know, a C-suite executive person um, does. Uh, and then I moved uh, on from there. I moved to Montana where I needed to work remotely uh, for a, a now ex-girlfriend of mine. So that was a personal choice to leave Experian um, and worked for a company called Facet Wealth who is serving to uh, more of the mass affluent category. So they're 
working with um, folks who just want to pay a flat subscription fee for planning. It's all remote and there's no fee for investment management. So that's a, that was a unique experience. And um, finally leads us up to our, my role now. So it's been a long-winded <laughs> explanation for your first question, Costa. But um, my current role now is I'm the director of wealth planning for uh, an RA in Newport Beach, California called Catalyst Wealth Advisors. Um, we manage about $60 million right now. And uh, it's just my boss and I, and we just hired a third employee who's going to help us out with some operations um, and client service. And so that's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah. Yeah. I think definitely a long story, but I think um, <laughs> a, a rich one as well. So right. uh, something I wanted to touch on, and you've already kind of touched on it, mentioning that you moved from you know, the East Coast, um, the DC area, all the way over to the West Coast in LA. Um, what was it? What was that experience like? And how did you kind of um, set down roots or begin to build a network on the other side of the country? Yeah, it's a great question. That was that is by far the toughest part of leaving any firm or, or location is just you have ties there, right? You have family ties, friend ties, professional ties, both at your current firm that you might be at and the external kind of, you know, financial planning association, or you have nonprofits that you've got involved in, you have to pick up and leave all of that. So I, I spent five years kind of building that network in DC. And so moving to LA, I started brand new. Um, I really didn't know a ton of people, but I knew my firm had a pretty, you know, broad, broad base of resources. And so I, I decided to leverage that and get involved with some of our business development um, efforts, you know, we would go to this thing called ACG, which is the Association for Corporate Growth. We would sponsor an award ceremony there. And so you get to kind of rub shoulders with some of the local business leaders there. Um, I got involved in the Financial Planning Association of LA. So I've been involved in NextGen, um, FPA NextGen for um, several years now, both in DC and LA, just kind of, it's, it used to be for financial planners under age 36. I don't know why they pick 36, <laughs> but now it's, uh, they've changed the definition to be anyone who's less than 10 years uh, tenure in the industry. Mm. So it's definitely more inclusive. It's not just based on young people or age. Um, so got involved in FPA there. And then I joined a, a, a board of a charity called um, the Exceptional Children's Foundation, which I just went to an event where they were looking for board members. So it was a really cool event in LA. They just brought all the nonprofits together and um, myself as an applicant could have gone and, you know, checked out what I was interested in from a, you know, board service or volunteerism or any of the causes that I cared about. And so I ended up talking to this one for a uh, place and they said, we're looking for young board members. And so I um, jumped at that opportunity. And so it's just, you know, it's just about getting involved. It's, there's no, uh, you know, magic cure, but I think it's about getting involved and trying to put yourself out there and meeting people both socially and, you know, at the gym or at professional things or at charitable things. Uh, you just have to get out there and try to balance that with just life that you're living as well. Right. So then a lot of our listeners are um, obviously college students who may be looking to get into the industry, maybe have had an internship or are looking for an internship. So what I want to ask, and this is this is kind of going off of the last question, I want to ask you, like, how did you network with the firm that you um, got the job with in L.A. being all the way on the East Coast? I think that would be um, pretty valuable for our listeners that may be looking in uh, locations outside of um, MSU or wherever their school is um, to kind of give them a couple tips on, you know, how could they break into a firm across the country? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, I think a lot of firms are looking for great talent. And so they're, they tend to have job listings everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you can look at the, the traditional job postings like Indeed or, you know, any of the other, you know, traditional job listings, but, you know, CFP board has a career center. Um, FPA, I believe has a career listing, but for me, it was more, um, I had gone to FPA residency, which is a week long thing where you can go and get a bunch of CE credits and it's really more um, for people in the first couple of years of their career who haven't really had a bunch of client experience yet or hadn't client facing yet. Um, but there was a lot of folks there from Asperian. They send a small army of people there that year. So there was probably five or six folks out of a group of 40 that were all from Asperian. And that just kind of put their name on my radar, um, you know, early on. And I was like, oh, wow, that seems like a really well-run big firm. Um, you know, I've kind of been a big firm person at that point in my career. And so I was like, well, let's check it out and see what locations they have. I mean, they had locations in LA and San Francisco, San Diego. There's an office in Silicon Valley. There's one in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, there's one in Philly and one in New York City. So they, they have several offices. And for me, it was more, I just need to get my resume to somebody as, as soon as possible. Um, I've gone back and forth a lot on my resume, both with my previous academic advisor and just with myself, just constantly reiterating it. Um, you know, doing different formatting and updating my experience and dropping old experience off from high school and college and that sort of thing. So uh, for me, it was just getting the resume out and then starting that correspondence, starting that process. And some firms will have a very well-defined <laughs> interview process and case studies and personality trait tests and all these things. And some will not. I mean, some of our, some of our industry is still very much a mom and pop mm -hmm. private firm, maybe with one or two principals that don't necessarily have it all figured out. And so that's a big opportunity for, um, I think folks who are just getting in the industry or just in college to, you know, eventually get in that firm and then be that person that's running, you know, not only client relationships, but also helping their bosses with hiring and, you know, HR and just processes for onboarding people and stuff like that. I mean, that's a huge opportunity. Right. So that kind of wraps up the um, little intro part that we um, try to do. So I want to kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about um, something that I think is unique to you or uh, uh, as far as I know to our guests, but you also teach at UCLA. And I want to talk about why you chose to pursue that teaching role. And then, mm -hmm. um, so this is sort of three questions in one. So why yeah. did you choose to do it? Um, was it something that you always saw yourself doing? And then do you think it's made you a better advisor or how else has it affected your career as an advisor? Sure. Yeah, great question. So I, I think the, the first part is something that will hopefully resonate with, with you and the guests that are part of a wealth management program already. It's just I, I owe a large majority of my success to my undergrad program. I mean, Virginia Tech, based on their you know, classes and just the people I met there in my cohort and my academic advisors and professors, like I owe them a lot. And so my idea of getting involved in UCLA was for a couple of reasons, one of which it was super close. <laughs> it was about five minutes, Westwood, which is where UCLA's as, uh, campus is, was about five minutes drive from my, um, from my old office in LA. So there was definitely a convenience factor, but also I wanted to pay it forward in terms of what I'd gotten from my academic experience as an undergrad and not only like the academic part of what I learned, but the real world networking and industry and client facing and client relationship based skills I learned there. I wanted to be that for somebody else. And so UCLA extension is a little bit different. They're, it's not all undergrad. You can have undergrad students in your classes, but it's more of a, it's more of a graduate level, you know, people who are working in banking or investment world or an RIA or, and don't have their CFP yet, 
they're going to go back and take these classes as part of getting their education requirement for the CFP. You know how you have to, you know, either if you go to an undergrad program where you have a board registered program that satisfies your education requirement for the CFP. If you're a working professional, you have to go back and do that at all. <laughs> so you have to take, I think, five or six classes and a capstone class, and then you can take the CFP because you've knocked that out. So those are the classes that I teach. Um, but again, I wanted to pay it back. Uh, I wanted to pay it forward. I enjoy teaching and sharing my experience, you know, good, bad, and the ugly. I mean, everything in my career hasn't been easy in a cakewalk. Um, and, you know, I also think that when I first got involved in the program, I was co-teaching an intro to financial planning course uh, with another gentleman who had been teaching it for 20 some years. And so I was in there really as just a, hey, this is someone who's in the business right now. He's going to give it to you straight, <laughs> you know, good, the bad, and the ugly, and, and what he loves about the industry and what he would recommend to someone who's just dipping into it. Or, you know, because some of these people were working at a local bank branch and they were kind of quasi doing financial planning, but more from a product-based solutions, right? You know, oh, here, here's a CD or a money market or a annuity product or, you know, whatever investment that you're in. And they wanted to branch out into what we do. And so that's, that's what they had to do is go back and take these classes. So that was kind of fun for me to share my perspective and give advice because there's so many different routes in this industry you can take. Um, and I won't get into them all now, but I was trying to share that, that wisdom, even in the short, you know, I've only been out of school for eight years at this point. So it's not like I have decades of experience, but in my short eight year career so far, I have a lot of different vantage points um, with different clients and different firms. So um, that was the reason I got involved. And uh, now I teach income taxation as it relates to the financial planning process and an ethics course, which is really just a four week primer on ethics because you know everyone thinks that ethics is just straightforward. Just be a good person. Don't steal money from your clients, <laughs> right. but it can be nuanced, particularly as it relates to the exam, right? So if you're going to take the CFP exam, ethics is a big part of it. And so you have to just be prepared as to how they're going to ask questions and you know, all the different compliance rules that we face as a, as professionals and, you know, being fee only versus fee based versus fiduciary and suitability. So there are some nuances there. Yeah. So now did you uh, kind of get into the income tax class because of your previous experience with SBSB? I think it helped. <laughs> I think it yeah. helped them actually pass the, uh, the smell test as to whether or not I was qualified to teach an income tax class because I'm not a CPA or an EA, um, but they really needed some help. They had a professor there who retired and he uh, had the income tax class. So they needed somebody to slot in there and they just made sure that I was, you know, qualified and could, you know, go through a text with them and go through slides and make sure I had enough real world experience to be dangerous um, in that, in that subject matter. So, um, and then your other, to your other question as to, do, you, do I think it's maybe a better advisor? I think it, it has because, I mean, there's an element to being, in front of a class, right? There's just a, pre a presentational aspect mm -hmm. of presenting in front of people that you do in front of clients all the time. So that helps you sharpen those skills and just being in front of us, uh, you know, in front of people. But I think also from just the nitty gritty of the tax code and tax law changes. And, you know, we had the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that which went into effect at the end of 2017 and all the different retirement contribution limits and AMT and ISOs for like, it has a lot of real world applications for what we do with clients. Um, and a lot of advisors will just kind of end up referring the client to a CPA, which is what I do in my current role now, because we don't have a tax practice, but you still have to be really knowledgeable about those strategies so that you can make a really solid recommendation 
the CPA might just be the one who's crunching the numbers in April, right, to file the return, <laughs> because a lot of CPAs are very reactionary and will just kind of intake the data, put it in, tell you what you owe, tell you what your estimated tax payments are going to be next year, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas planners should be the ones who are being a little bit more proactive around, you know, Roth conversions and capital gain harvesting and capital loss harvesting and all the different charitable you know, giving strategies with donor advised funds and how that ties into the income tax projection that you may be running for that for the client. So, so yeah, I think it's helped a lot. Just keeping me sharp on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I want to uh, kind of jump into like the third phase of the podcast here and kind of fast forward or maybe jump back um, to what yeah. you were talking about earlier about your current role. So you are now the director of wealth planning at Catalyst Wealth Advisors. And I want to talk about how you um, kind of came into this opportunity and what most excites you about it. Because I know it's kind of um, a, a starting out firm. You guys are pretty small right now, but sure. obviously looking to grow. So, yeah, absolutely. So we got introduced. So my boss Ryan uh, McKee and I got got introduced. So he is a member of XY Planning Network, and I think if anyone takes anything away from this podcast, XY Planning Network is a really a real powerhouse in particularly the fee only space of our industry right now. And for those listening who don't know what it is, basically it's a network of 12 or 1300 firms across the country that fall into the category of fee only, and they might just be starting out. So XY Planning Network is an actual for-profit company that services these firms. And basically they'll help you launch your RIA, they'll do compliance, they'll help you with sales and marketing. They have processes, they have technology discounts, right? So there's a lot of technology in our business and you know, like Orion is a big one for portfolio reporting um, and software, and they have a discount for um, if you're an XY Planning Network member, you can also get a discount when you get Orion because a lot of these softwares are pretty expensive. Right. Um, so basically, it's just a huge network of fee-only RAs in the country. And so Ryan, my boss, is a, has been a member of them for two years. And so we got introduced through a mutual connection there, and we just started chatting. Um, you know, I was still in my role at Facet Wealth supporting about 100 relationships and just starting to realize that as much as I enjoyed helping people who don't traditionally have access to a CFP because of the cost or the asset requirements, it really wasn't where I wanted to be long-term, right? It was, I was on eight to nine Zoom client meetings per day, right? In the height of the pandemic. Um, it, you know, I didn't necessarily agree with the way the company was going and that sort of thing, but it was still a great experience. I just knew I would be open to something else if it came across my, you know, LinkedIn or desk or whatever you want to call it. So Ryan and I started chatting and just making sure that a, we were aligned on our values. We were aligned on, you know, what we thought financial planning was or what client service was or the right way to work with clients. Cause there's a lot of different opinions around, um, around our business, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent. You have to, if you're going to work with somebody that closely, I mean, it's, it was just him and I until about a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> so, and we're working in different parts of the country remotely um, until, you know, COVID settles down where I'll probably go out and visit him four to six times a year. But we wanted to make sure that this was the right fit from a number of perspectives. And so we just st- started chatting over a course of probably four or five, um, you know, phone calls and Zoom meetings, just talking about what it would look like, um, not even talking numbers or salary or anything like that just getting to know a little bit about how he felt about the firm and where it was in the, in the, in the kind of birth process and the clients that we were working with and what role I would be able to serve. And so his expertise uh, really lies in investment management. And so, you know, his background comes from commercial real estate 
Um, he then was in the investment management world and more in the broker dealer world for a little bit. And then he decided that if he wanted to, to really do fee only, you know, bespoke advice to clients that he really cared about, he, he wanted to launch his own firm. So that's why he launched his own RA back in 2018. And so he was just, you know, kind of going along by himself, really taking on all hats of the firm, you know, single member <laughs> RA, single member LLC. He's got all the compliance and administration. He's doing all the Schwab paperwork himself. He's doing all the investment research, all the financial planning. And so he just needed someone to, to really come on board and start sharing those, those responsibilities. So um, decided to make the leap. It's gone really well so far. It's really interesting just to see the life cycle of the firm evolve. Um, we have 60 million in assets right now, but we really do lead with planning. Um, so we use e-money for financial planning. All of our clients do get really high touch client service, um, financial planning, professional referrals, right? If the client needs a CPA, an insurance agent, a state planning attorney, we're gonna make those really warm referrals to at least two or three people so that the client can make their own decision. Right. Um, and then just being, you know, serving clients the only way I know how, which is bend over backwards, high touch, you know, they like to throw around the, the term white glove service in our industry, which is really just anything the client needs. We're there for, um, you know, obviously within the scope of the engagement. Um, but we have three ways to work with clients, one of which is a very traditional assets under management fee. So basically throw in the whole house of services for starting at 1% of assets under management and then tiering down from there to 0.75 and 0.5, depending on the size of the portfolio. We have a second service, which is really the flat annual subscription model. So if the client decides that either they're not gonna bring assets over with us or they just feel more comfortable with a certain arrangement, we do have a flat subscription fee model. So um, anywhere from 4,000 a year to 12,000 a year, depending on complexity, it's paid quarterly. It can be deducted from managed accounts or just paid via, via check. And then we also have a first time um, comprehensive financial plan upfront where we do the entire process from soup to nuts. We deliver the financial plan and recommendations. And then we, we include kind of a six month window after that engagement so that we can follow up and help with any uh, implementation of those recommendations. Right. So you, you mentioned that um, at least Ryan has done a lot of things on the back end by himself. Has there been anything that you thought you wouldn't do that you have done or anything that surprised you like, whoa, I didn't think I would be doing this? Um, <laughs> That's a good question. I, I've had the mentality my whole career where I, I don't care what I'm making or where I'm at, I'm going to get coffee down the street if you need me to. And it sounds cliche, but you know, that's the way I was raised. And that's the way my professors told me, you know, going into firms like this, you know, I think we're in a different place now as an industry where everyone has a fighting chance. There's not necessarily this like, you know, Hey son, or Hey, you know, Hey ma'am, you're going to sit in that chair until I tell you you're ready to work, meet with clients. I think it's come a long way um, in terms of associate advisors, junior advisors, whatever you want to call them are in the game from day one. Um, whereas before it was probably a little bit more, okay, you might be in the meeting taking notes at, at max, um, or you might be research only, or you might be investment research only. Um, so I only say that to say, I think my whole career, I've been just anything you, you all need me to do, whether I'm in a lead advisor capacity or not, whether it's preparing a Schwab form or doing a really nitty gritty cost basis research project, which, you know, there are some parts of our, what we do as, as a business every day, which aren't flattering, right? They're not glamorous. They're very much analytical. Uh, they can be number crunching. There could be software crunching where you're any money just pouring over a plan for hours. Um, but it makes it all worth it at the very end when the client, you know, gets a recommendation or gets a plan and is just ultimately satisfied with, 
what you've done for them and there's a trust factor. Um, so in the current firm, I mean, since it is just Ryan and I, now we've brought on our third team member, Kristen, we're all kind of sharing all the hats, right? We're wearing all the hats. You know, I've, I've prepped Schwab paperwork since joining. I've, I've done cost basis research since joining. You know, we're, we're, we're um, a little bit of a quasi ETF approach, but we also have some individual stock strategies. So, you know, day-to-day stock market monitoring and digging into individual companies um, that's all, I mean, I signed up for it when, when I talked to Ryan at first, it was like, whatever you need me to do to help this firm grow. Cause I think there's a lot of potential here. I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it with a smile and, and, uh, take off your plate if I can. Right. Absolutely. I think that's a good mentality to have. And I think our listeners can definitely, um, learn from that and especially them being on mostly the younger end, um, and just yeah. getting in and doing as much as you can to, to stand out. So I'll, I'll give you a funny example of that. So, yeah, sure. um, <laughs> When I was a sophomore in college, I came home to my hometown of Allentown, Pennsylvania, and had a very small internship with a local firm. Uh, you know, it was a couple hours a week, and I was getting paid nothing, but it was still great to be in that kind of office environment, and just you know, see people and see what they were doing and sit in on meetings. But um, as an example of that mentality, I at one point I was researching picnic tables for where, <laughs> for the back office, so where they eat lunch, so that um, so that they could eat out lunch at lunch in the summer. So at one point, my, the principal of the firm, you know, big, big deal, guys been around for 30 years, and I were kind of in our suit and tie building a picnic table in the back of this office right. um, so that the whole company could, could sit there and eat. And so we're sweating in, you know, 90 degree heat. But, yeah. you know, it was one of those things where it wasn't related at all to financial planning, client service, investments, anything. But it was something that at the end of the day, he was thrilled to have, you know, just another set of hands that was not complaining not saying, oh, I'm college educated, right? I'm in the middle of an undergrad program for CFP. I should be in there taking notes on meetings and meeting clients and, you know, shadowing lead advisors who are frying up new business. It was just, hey, whatever you need, um, I'm there. Absolutely. No, we actually just learned how to put together picnic tables in our intro class the other day. <laughs> nice. There you go. That should be required reading. All right, exactly. So, uh, this has been a great interview so far. I want to kind of just wrap up with one last question and we already kind of touched on it, um, but maybe one other piece of advice that you give to younger advisors that are looking to break into the industry. I know we touched on a couple different things, yeah. being willing to do everything, uh, networking, stuff like that, but maybe just as a wrap up. Yeah, there's a lot. And and I think there, this is one of the things I'm most passionate about because I think there's, there's, there are a lot of different ways to go and, and I'm not, I don't ever want to get on my high horse and say there's a wrong direction to go in the industry or the wrong firm to work for a wrong type of firm to work for. The only thing I would recommend is just to be picky, right? When you're looking for an internship or a job, you know, and I, I realize it's easier said than done in certain job markets and with, you know, COVID and, you know, people tightening their belt in, in certain recessions in the years past to get an internship or to get a job but to really be picky uh, about where you wanna be, what you see yourself doing. Are you really interested in the investments, but not so much retirement planning, right? If you know that now, or you think you know that now, then, then research it, right? Go into those job interviews, go into those firms, or make sure that you're applying for a job that you know is heavily, heavily involved in investment research, rather than some of the nitty gritty client service financial planning, estate planning, retirement planning, insurance planning, tax consulting, just really be picky. And if you're at a place, even, even four or five years into your career after college, if you're in a place where you don't see the career path, you don't necessarily agree with the way that management's taking the company, 
you really love your clients, but at the same time, you need to look out for yourself. Just be picky and leave. Right. I think there's a lot of people who still look down on people for jumping around jobs. And I know I'm biased because I've jumped around a little bit, but if you, if you are not happy somewhere in our industry, you can be there for a long time. Um, so just really be, be picky, but be thoughtful around how you want to work with clients. If you want to work with clients, some people know going in that they don't necessarily want to be client facing, right? There's a ton of opportunity in our industry, in our business for non-client facing people because wealth management is, is exploding and every firm needs operations people. Every firm needs investment only people. Every firm needs business development people. If you're interested in sales and you really want to do a lot of selling and networking business development, you may not want to sign up for a role where they expect you to be a grinder, right? A grinder doing planning analysis, a grinder doing tax projections, a grinder doing four, five, six, seven client meetings a week where you're kind of in the seat, <laughs> either virtually or in the room. Um, just make sure you know what you're signing up for and be really thoughtful around questions you ask to employers um, because it's their job to make their case for why you should want to work there. I mean, it's a very tight labor market right now for our industry. And I think CFP candidates and wealth management people who are educated in the subject matter are in very high demand. Right. And so you can be a little bit picky in terms of compensation and role and expectations and is there a path to being a partner at this firm or are we owned by a gigantic wirehouse that you know it's just kind of I'm just going to be a one of a thousand employees right I'm not saying that's bad it's just you have to go into it with eyes wide open or else the expectations aren't going to be met and you're going to be immediately unhappy um, so I would just say yeah that, that's kind of a few pieces of advice there yeah absolutely I, I would agree with that as well yeah. um, so Mark Great interview. Um, I had a, uh, a great time asking you these questions and we really appreciate you coming in and, and sitting with the college student and trying to uh, spread the word about our industry and some opportunities there. So I appreciate Absolutely. it. Yeah, thank you for having me. And if anybody has any questions at all, I always make myself fully available. If you want to find me on LinkedIn, uh, it's just Mark Cicchini, C-E-C-C-H-I-N-I. Um, feel free to add me, reach out with questions. Uh, I enjoy this stuff. It's, it's really a passion of mine. So um, if anybody has questions, don't feel, don't, don't feel hesitant to reach out. Absolutely. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Vincent Pacillo, producer of the MSU WMA podcast, where we are inspiring and educating the next generation of financial planners. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please check out our channel on all platforms such as Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and check out our social media at MSUWMA and MSUWMA.com. Thank you.